John chapter 11 is where we are. Uh, we looked at the first five verses of John chapter 11 last week, and we're going to continue on with that. Uh, I've entitled the teaching today, For the Glory of God. For the Glory of God. And we're going to understand that all of us better as we move through this text uh, today. Uh, it's told of, uh, we, as we looked last week, we looked at uh, this family that's in John chapter 11, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, we, we talked about the difference between those two sisters, didn't we? Uh, major differences on the way that they responded to certain things. And uh, just unique individuals. And we know that we're a lot like that as well, right? I challenged you guys to, to really look at, am I more like Mary or am I more like Martha? And I tell you, last week I, I, I came out of that thinking, well, you know, I'd like to be more like Mary, uh, but I'm probably more like Martha <laughs> than, I, than I even want to admit. That's not a bad thing, uh, because Martha was one who served. And so I want to say that because I kind of felt like last week, maybe I came down on all the Marthas of the, of the world, and uh, I didn't want to do that. Uh, I want to, both of them are such an encouragement to us, and we can see ourselves in those sisters. So you have these two sisters. How many of you here have a sister? Wow. A lot of you. That's great. Uh, so you know how it can be with sisters. You can be um, a lot alike or you can be a lot different. The story is told of three sisters. Uh, actually, they, I think they were spinsters because they, uh, there's no husbands in the picture in this uh, particular story. So there's three of them. They're all living together in one house. But they're getting up in years, you know, and the oldest one, she's upstairs in the house and she has got one foot in the shower and one foot out and she's saying to herself, was I getting in the shower or was I getting out of the shower? I just, I can't remember. So she yells downstairs, I need some help. I can't remember what I'm doing here. So the second oldest sister says, I'll be right up. So she runs up the stairs, gets halfway up the stairs and goes, Oh, I can't remember if I was going up the stairs or I was coming down the stairs. I just, I just don't remember. So she yells and says, I need some help here. Can't remember if I was going up the stairs or down the stairs. And the younger sister, of course, she's downstairs in the kitchen. And she's like, oh, I can't believe these two. I am never going to be like that when I get to be their age, you know, knock on wood. So she says, I'll be right up. But first, there's somebody at the door. I'll you know, get up there when I... Somebody at John chapter 11. Sisters, we're going to see the interaction that Jesus has with this family and with these sisters. But we're going to see more than that this week because we're also going to see Jesus and his disciples. That's verses 7 through 16. We're going to see Jesus and Martha, verses 20 through 28. We're going to see Jesus and Mary, verses 31 through 40. And we're going to see Jesus and Lazarus, and how that all turned out. Now, as we talked last week, the key verse in this for all of us is verse 5. And that's where we're going to start today uh, with Jesus loving Mary. Uh, I love Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. But let's get started. We're going to read verses 5 through 14 uh, this morning. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this morning we have the opportunity to look at your word and learn from your word. And Lord, we come before you with anticipation of knowing that in this place, you desire to speak to our hearts, each one of us individually, just the way that we are, the unique individuals that you created. And Lord, you want to minister to us uh, through your word. So Father, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we talked last week, this is a very unique family that Jesus has a very unique relationship with. He's very close to this family, as we'll see. And we know that because they, in the text, we see that they opened up their home to Jesus on a regular basis. Uh, they cared for Jesus. They fed Jesus. They supported him in ministry. So he had this very special relationship with them. And we see that last week there's this message that was sent to Jesus, these sisters saying, Lord, behold, in verse 3, he whom you love is sick. In verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, really, <laughs> he stayed two more days. He, he's not in any hurry. Why? Why would Jesus not respond to that? very quickly, knowing how much he loves this family, how much he cares for him, how he loves Lazarus, and he's sick, why would he not respond quickly? Well, we see in verse 4, the reason why is for the glory of God. God had a purpose in this whole scene that's going to take place. He had things that he wanted to teach Mary and Martha and his disciples and even Lazarus. So, we see that this could have taken place in this timeline, if you will, using verses 17 and 39, as we'll look at later, four days, four days passed by. So day one, this messenger comes to Jesus, and evidently that day, Lazarus died. Day two, this messenger probably returns to Bethany, to the family, Day three, Jesus waits another day, then departs, and it takes a day to get there, so Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, four days. Now, I can't be dogmatic about that timeline, but it just makes sense that it took four days, and the first day was the start of the messenger coming. So, what we're going to see now from verse 7 on, we're going to see this dialogue and this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So now it's time. After the two-day wait, uh, it's time to go. We've all learned in our own walk with the Lord that he's just not always on our time schedule, is he? 
There is purpose in everything that he does. You say, I know that, but I don't always see the purpose. We've all been there, haven't we? So why the waiting? You know, we pray about something and we know that there's only three answers to prayer, right? Yes, no, and wait. And I don't know about you guys, but wait bothers me. You know, just give me a yes or a no. And if it's no, I'll wait for a yes. But give me a yes or no, right? But there's just the waiting. Why the waiting? Why? Verse 4 again. For the glory of God. That's the point here. God has a purpose and a plan in everything that He does. Even in things we might see or believe to be insignificant, God has a purpose. And that purpose is for His glory. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways, the Lord says. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Who has become his counselor? Short answer, me. <laughs> me and you, right? We try to counsel the Lord on a regular basis. We try to get him to see, Lord, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is what's going on. So I need you to listen up, Lord, because here's what we need to do here. Here's what needs to take place. So we try to convince the Lord. We try to counsel the Lord ourselves. We even try to change the words. How many of you remember that old praise song, In His Time? Remember that? We try to change the words of that to, In my time, in my time, you make all things beautiful in my time. You know, we, we try to do that, don't we? It's not sometimes even an intentional thing. It's just that we tend to have our own opinions about things. We tend to have our own course that we want to travel on. And so sometimes we set aside for the glory of God and we go with for the glory of me or you, right? So God does things in His way and in His time. We've, we've all learned that. We don't have to walk with the Lord for very long at all till we learn that lesson. So in verse 8, the disciples said to Him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? They're saying, dangerous move, Jesus. Have you forgotten how they feel about you there? What are they doing? The disciples now are trying to counsel Jesus, aren't they? They're trying to tell Him what He should do, what He should be careful of. And in verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So Jesus is saying to His disciples there, you know, don't worry, it's, it's still daylight. There are still things for me to do before night falls. And night being that time when He is to be crucified on the cross. But it's not that time yet. His time had not yet come. We see that phrase repeated, or we have seen it repeated throughout the book of John up to this point. My time has not yet come. Because, why? Jesus is on God's time schedule, isn't He? He is 
staying tight with the Father. As we talked last week, Jesus gets up early in the morning and spends time in prayer with the Father, getting His direction for the day. So He is on the Father's timeline. It's ordained by God how these things are going to take place. And it's not time for that yet. My time has not yet come, but it will. Just not yet. Verse 11, These things He said, and after that He said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that He was speaking about taking rest in sleep. So once again, the disciples are trying to counsel Jesus. Well, Jesus, you know, you know if he's sick, then rest is just what he needs. He needs to, to get some sleep to, to allow time for his body to rest and recover. That's, that's what he needs. We know that, right? We would probably give the same counsel. You know, he's sick. He just needs to, you know, uh, take some um, medicine and, and rest, get some sleep. So then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He had to say that to him plainly and simply, didn't he? Uh, guys, you, you just don't get it. He's dead. Lazarus, he's dead. Rest is really not going to help this situation because he's dead. He's dead. Now, I like it when Jesus speaks plainly. When he speaks plainly to me, uh, I need that. Because I can't always figure that out. You know, my mind's buzzing, going different directions. I've got my own thoughts, processing things my own way. And sometimes I need Jesus just to speak plainly to me. He does that time and time again to me in, in His Word. He just says things plainly. So He helps me understand in that way. But yet, He's never talking down to me. That's not what's going on here either with the disciples. He's just trying to communicate the truth to them. Uh, guys, you don't know this, but Lazarus is already dead. He's dead. And so he's saying that out of love just to inform them of what's going on. And he does that to all of us, doesn't he? He doesn't talk down to us. He loves us. He's encouraging us. He's explaining things to us that we can, so we can understand it. So verse 15, he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus knows the whole story, the big picture, what the end result is going to be, that this event that began with grief is going to very soon end with belief. So it's going to go from grief to belief. We'll see as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Why? Once again, for the glory of God. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So why was Thomas called the twin, do you suppose? Well, because he was a twin. Not real complicated, is it? Uh, his name means twin in Aramaic, which is Didymus in Greek, which means twin. We don't know him as Thomas the twin, do we? we? We know him as Doubting Thomas, Thomas the Doubter. I think it's kind of an unfair title that, that Thomas has been given. Uh, I say that because I could easily be called James the Doubter. James the Doubting One. 
You know, each one of us know we've gone through that time when we've had doubts, haven't we? So we could be called that. I certainly can't be called the twin. God wasn't that cruel. People <laughs> would have made a twin just like me. That's a scary thought. So it's an unfair title, I think, given to Thomas. We call him the doubting one because we see that there was times in Scripture that he doubted, at least one for sure. But here, he's the devoted one. When the other disciples were concerned about going back near Jerusalem because of this possibility of death, Thomas says, let's go. Even if we die with him, let's go. So we got to give uh, Thomas kudos here for, for doing that. Certainly not showing that character that we see in other places of being a doubter. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So that's how we know the four days uh, took place because it tells us right here in scripture. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles away and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. There were those who were there comforting them uh, friends, family members, uh, acquaintances that came to Bethany to provide comfort for them and also to mourn with them. In this culture at this time, there were what were called professional mourners. <laughs> Sounds like an interesting job to have, you know, that when it's time for a funeral, something like that, you call in the professional mourners. It's hard for me to grasp that whole concept that there's just people that would be paid to come and mourn. Really? Have you thought about another line of work, you know, another profession? Maybe someone who brings joy, you know? Maybe you've heard the saying, uh, do you bring joy wherever you go or do you bring joy whenever you go? <laughs> so these people are, are mourners actually paid for that. It's, a, it's an unusual practice, you know, especially in our culture. It's just something we don't understand. Now, we don't know for sure that they were present there, but it is a, a practice culturally in that time. So Jesus and the disciples, they're approaching Bethany, and they're met by Martha. She'd heard that they were coming. Small town, news travels fast, right? So now we step into this interaction between Jesus and Martha. Verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So Martha, Martha is showing her personality up, busy, can't sit still, doing something, got to be moving, got to be doing something. Mary, sitting, not busy, contemplating. Sisters, yes, both of them going through grief, but handling it in different ways, just like us. In a time of grief, some of us need to stay busy, don't we? We need to keep the mind going. We need to keep our body busy. It's just the way that we handle grief. And then some of us just want to or need to just, to just sit. So Martha comes to Jesus, and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, at first glance, this almost looks like a statement of rebuke, doesn't it? That, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I, I don't believe it's a statement of rebuke. I believe it's a statement of belief. Why? As you go throughout the Gospels, there's no account of anyone dying in the presence of Jesus. Is there? Can you find anywhere in the text where someone dies in the presence of Jesus? We, we don't have that there. I'm not saying that it never happened. What I'm saying is what we have in God's Word available to us, it's not there. So it's kind of an unusual thing that someone that close to Jesus would die. So her statement is true in that if you'd been here, my brother would have not have died. Well, we know that he did. Why? For the glory of God. We're going to see as we move through the text. But Martha does use the word if. It's a little word with big meaning, isn't it? She is using it in a faith context. She's saying, Lord, I know that if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's a statement of faith. It's something that she truly believed. So in verse 22, Martha is quick to confirm her faith in Jesus. After saying that, she responds, or Jesus responds to her with a promise. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Jesus was speaking regarding the immediate situation, but she interpreted his words to mean a future resurrection in the last day to be with him. He meant this day, and she thought someday. But Jesus, he meant today. So he gives further clarification. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, he's speaking future now in that believing on him and in him for salvation, we never see death. We have those promises for us in his word. We pass from death to life in him, John 5, 24. That's another promise he has for Martha and for all of us. We also see here another one of the I am statements. We've seen a number of those as we've moved through John's gospel up to this point. I am. This is the fifth one we've seen. Jesus clearly taught in all of his teachings that death is real. There is life after death. And we will all one day be raised by God's power. By what? By belief in him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. There is a resurrection, Jesus is saying, and I am it. It's because of me. It's only through me. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, we see a lot of times when we're reading through texts, we know that it's speaking to a broader audience than just the person that he's talking to because it applies to us as well. However, we, we don't want to lose the sense of what's going on here either, that Jesus is directing this to Martha personally. Martha, do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, as you look at that verse, three things might jump out at you. She says, I believe you are, number one, Lord, number two, the Christ, and number three, the Son of God. Lord, Christ, and Son of God. I have believed and will continue to believe, Jesus, that you are all three. So no matter what we think about Martha, no matter what 
think about what's been talked about up to this point, we've got to give her credit for this. She knows who Jesus is. It shows her trust and her belief. She'd been with Jesus. She had heard His teaching. She had seen His work. She had experienced and seen His miracles. And through all these things, she was built up in faith by spending time with Jesus. Now, Jesus has and continues to work in each one of our lives as well, right? How many of you would say here today that without a doubt, you are one of the miracles of Jesus? I mean, as I look around, I... Yeah. <laughs> Those of you that I know really well, big time, big time miracles going on, without a doubt. How He could take us from where we were to bring us to where we are and love us enough to take us to where He wants us to be. It's, it's just a miracle what He does in our lives. It's been said before that we are walking resumes of His faithfulness. All of us, as we've applied for jobs in the past, we fill out a resume to try to sell the person on where we're applying, on who we are and what we know and what experience we have. And so we, we put our best self forward in our resume, don't we? Well, think about that. If we had to put a sheet of paper together that was a resume of how God has worked in our lives and shown His faithfulness in our lives, that walking resume of His faithfulness in us and through us. It's an amazing thing. So it's our, it's our testimony, our witness, if you will, of what He's done in us and through us. Verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. I noticed something in this that I'd really never seen before in this particular verse, the whole secretly thing. It's like, what's that all about? Well, we know that Jesus drew large crowds, didn't he? And we also know that Martha has had some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. And Jesus has been an encouragement to her, helping her through her grief. And Martha loves her sister. She wants the same for her. So to come to Mary secretly and tell her that, she can go off to see Jesus. And maybe not, there's not this whole entourage following her. That's the hope. That, that she has in that. So Mary can go and spend some time with Jesus. The teacher has come and is calling for you. That's, that's interesting too. I think that that's so unique in that the personal level that that takes it to. Mary, he's calling for you by name. He, he wants to minister to you. He wants to encourage you, comfort you, to give you peace. Personally, Mary. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So Martha goes to her sister and said, Jesus is here. He wants to talk with you. And immediately she gets up and goes to Jesus. Now we're going to see this interaction between Jesus and Mary. Verse 31. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. So what was going to be done in secret is really not a secret anymore because, again, we can't come down on the people that are there. They're there to comfort the family. And if Mary is going to the tomb to mourn, they want to go with her. They want to comfort and encourage her. So it's not a bad thing. Verse 32, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw Him, she what? 
she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So here's two sisters that are very different, but obviously very much alike because they say the same thing to Jesus. I don't think that that's all that odd, really, because four days had passed since her brother had died, and they'd probably use these very words to comfort each other. Oh, I just know, I just understand that if Jesus had been here, our brother would not have died. I think they've used that as encouragement uh, to each other, and I think even the other mourners that were present probably gave them that encouragement as well. But once again, in this text, we see Mary where? At the feet of Jesus. Remember last week we looked in Luke, and it was that first time that Jesus had come to their house, and Martha was off in the kitchen. She was very busy, and where was Mary? She was at the feet of Jesus. And we saw that kind of annoyed Martha a little bit, and it seemed to. But Mary was spending time at the feet of her Lord. And that's a great example for us. Mary was choosing the better part, being with Jesus. She finds comfort, peace, and strength there. And we do as well. Mary went to the place that was very familiar to her, didn't she? She had spent time at the feet of Jesus. She had learned from Him. She had been counseled by Him. She had found peace and comfort and encouragement there. So where did she go in this time of grief? She went to the feet of Jesus. I hope you got that, because that's a very good example for each and every one of us. We go through those times, not just the grief in losing a loved one, but the grief that we feel in any uh, different types of scenarios. And we can always go to the feet of Jesus to find that comfort, to find that counsel, to find that peace. In fact, that's the only place we're going to find it, the true peace, through Jesus. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus weeping. Why? This verse, the shortest verse in all of Scripture, maybe the deepest verse, has deep meaning in it for all of us in all of Scripture. But over time, it has caused much discussion and study and debate between scholars for centuries. Jesus wept. Why, Why did Jesus weep? He, he knew what he was going to do, didn't he? He knew that he was going to go to that tomb and he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why weep? Again, there's been much debate about that. Now, I am by no means a Greek or Hebrew scholar. In fact, all of the good stuff that I get, I steal from somebody else <laughs> when it comes to Greek and Hebrew. I, I just don't study that. Maybe I should more, but uh, I feel like that there are guys that are just much more intelligent than me that have come before me. I can learn from them and take it, and um, uh, I don't get bogged down in that way. Uh, it, it just, I don't know that my mind could fully comprehend it. But the Greek word for wept, I found out, is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Nowhere else in the New Testament is the Greek word for wept 
found. And the definition of it is that it's a, it's a silent weeping. It's not the loud outward, like the weeping of the mourners, but it's more internalized. Jesus wept. Now, we might be familiar with that as well. There are times when maybe we are sad and we weep and it's, it's very emotional and it is out loud. And there's other times that we just keep it internalized to ourselves and we are mourning, we are weeping inside internally, but it's, it's, it's just more reserved, if you will. So, why did Jesus weep? Why is this internalized weeping going on with him? Perhaps, this is just four things that I found that different ones have surmised that that was the case. Perhaps it was because he was reminded of the way that sin destroys, the way that sin kills, and the way that sin stinks. We're going to see that later on in that he raises Lazarus from the dead. Before he does that, one of the sisters say what? In the King James, he stinketh much. Lazarus was a sinner. That didn't ultimately lead to, because of something he did, led to his death, but he was a sinner. Sin stinks. Maybe Jesus was weeping about that, that the way sin had come into the world and into the hearts of, of individuals. Maybe that was it. Perhaps it was because of the unbelief that surrounded him that he had given the promise that Lazarus would rise again. He told Martha that. I'm sure she spread the news, but that no one really believed it because, you know, he made that statement. You really don't see anything in the text where people were just like, hey, let's just go out. Let's all meet out and wait at the tomb because something marvelous is going to happen. No, they were still in mourning mode, weren't they? So maybe that was breaking Jesus' heart. Perhaps it was because he knew he was going to be pulling Lazarus out of paradise and bringing him back to the earth. That one seems very real to me. It's like Jesus came from there, so he knows what it's like, and now he's going to take Lazarus from that and bring him back to this world. Maybe, maybe that was breaking his heart. I don't know. Perhaps even though Jesus knew everything was going to work out eventually, he did see in the lives of those around him those who were hurting presently. We know that from Scripture, Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He hurts for us when we hurt. He knows what we're going through. The hurt is very real. And again, he wants to be there to give us peace and comfort. Maybe that was breaking his heart. So if you put all of those together, the main theme there to look at is that look at the love that Jesus has for us. Whatever the case is, why Jesus wept. And we'll get that opportunity to ask him when we get to heaven, won't we? Jesus, why did you weep? And the answer is going to probably be something none of us has ever even thought of. You know, that's just the way it goes, right? But whatever the case, when he explains that to us, it'll touch our hearts because we'll know that it's out of the love that he has for each one of us. Verse 37, And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, What? Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, 
for he has been dead four days. Again, I like the King James Version a little better. He stinketh much. Uh, this week we had the opportunity to move Megan and Brandon, well, let me get that straight, Megan, into their new apartment that they will share at a later date after the wedding. <laughs> Make that clear. And it was a hot day, and uh, the family was moving them, and I really, I was like, I stinketh much, you know. I, <laughs> it was an object lesson for me. But nothing stinks like death, right? So he stinketh much. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see what? The glory of God. Jesus says, Hey, listen up and watch. Watch what's going to take place because you are about to witness what? The glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Why is Jesus about to do this? For the glory of God. That's what he says. So now, verse 41, Jesus and Lazarus. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, Father, I do this for your glory so that they will believe. I read that and I just think, oh, what a focus. I, I, yeah, I realize He is Jesus. But yet for each one of us to make that same prayer in whatever situation that we're in, whatever we're going through, to be able to look up to heaven and say, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Because we know in His Word, He promises that He hears us, right? And I know that you always hear me, Lord. But because of these people that are standing by, Lord, in this situation, at this point in time where I have this opportunity to witness, to give testimony, to be that walking resume of faithfulness, Lord, that you've worked out in my life, Lord, let my words be your words so that they may believe, that they may believe. He can do that work in us. He's done that work in us. We know that. Verse 43, now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Why do you think he said Lazarus? Why did he call him by name? I don't know, but I think that there's power in those words. Wouldn't you agree? What might have happened if he just said, come forth. <laughs> Tombs are emptying all over town. People are coming forth. <laughs> That's not what he wanted to do at this point in time. That will happen later. Amen. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. Just, just you, Lazarus, you come forth at this time. Verse 44, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now I was thinking this week, this is the way my mind goes. You picture this stone gets rolled away, Lazarus come forth, you know, he's wrapped in these. <laughs> I just have this picture and he's still wrapped up entirely. You know, and Jesus' words are, you know, loose him. Um, but it's almost like, would somebody unwrap the guy? You know, he can't even walk. He's alive. Get all that stuff off of him. Loose him. 
So Jesus says to his disciples, his disciples are there, all who are standing there, all these mourners, basically he's saying, I resurrected him, you loose him and let him go. I resurrected him, I brought him new life. Now to each one of you that are here, disciples, mourners, I'm giving you the awesome privilege and responsibility of loosening him. He does that with each and every one of us as well. As those who do not have relationship with Jesus Christ come to know him, he gives to us, the believers, this awesome privilege and responsibility of what? Praying for them, sharing with them, teaching them, encouraging them, standing with them, loosening up those things that they're bound with by being there for them, welcoming them into the family of God. He puts us in that place where we're involved in that work. One of the things that I love about the ministry of Jesus is the way that he did discipleship. We have discipleship on Thursday nights here. It's a great class. We're learning those very things. How did Jesus do it? Because that's the way we want to do it, right? But what's really encouraging to me is how he involved the disciples in the work. Got them right in the middle of it. So he's saying to them here, I've raised him from the dead. I've given him new life. Your work now is to be an encourager to them, to pray for them, come along beside them to help them in their walk. So even as ridiculous as that sounded with the bedclothes, you know, he's all wrapped up. He needs help walking. He can't do that. He's all wrapped up tight here. You guys need to help him, loosen him. Allow God to work through you in his life to make an impact on him as well. In my name, Jesus is saying, I believe. So we who have a relationship with Jesus, so we've been resurrected with him, we've found newness of life in him, we know that we're no longer bound by the laws of sin and death. Scripture tells us that. We've experienced that. We know that. We've witnessed the resurrection in us, each one of us individually, for what purpose? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. Amen?